This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, a new motor for the Bi E-Flyer. And the BizAv forecast is looking good in the future. Uber steps out of the eVTOL world. And pilots with a COVID vaccine in your future, there are some steps you got to take. Finally, new airplanes on the market from Piper and Texas Aircraft. Ian, are you ready to do some hangar talk? Let's do some hangar talk, David. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. The 1056 turn right heading 130, contact final 132.4. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulitz. David, our guest this week, it's a guy that we've we've come to know at AOPA through our new flight planner. He developed it. That's the iFlight Planner. His name's Andy Matthews. And you caught up with him. And it's an interesting guy, interesting conversation you guys had. We're going to talk about aviation with Andy Matthews, but we're going to find out a little bit more about his previous background as a PGA golfer on the tour. And it is really cool. It's an, it's a neat story how he got involved in aviation. Okay, fantastic. So before we get to that, though, let's do now th- this actually before we start, let's talk a little bit about the schedule. So this is going to be our last, we'll call it news show of the year. And in fact, I guess by the calendar, it is the last show of the year. However, because of the holidays, we're going to record kind of a look back show that will launch the first Monday of January. That's right. And when we talk about the look back show, we'll talk about some of the hottest topics of 2020 um, and try to look forward a little bit to what we might see in 2021. But before we leave 2020, we do have a pretty newsy roundup today as this year comes to a close. And just to remind our, our listeners on Hangar Talk, Ian, we appreciate everyone listening. This is our fifth season so far for the award-winning Hangar Talk podcast. Gosh, that's amazing. And thanks to our, our loyal listeners. And we want you to keep listening. And if you have topics you want us to talk about, drop us a note. All right. So let's move on to the news. The Bi Aerospace e-flyers, we've talked about those a lot. We're excited about those. Previously, they had been in a relationship with Rolls-Royce producing the electric power plants, but some growing pains here. They are switching motors. This is really hard now. we got to call them motors, not engines. They're switching motors to uh, Safran's electric motor division. This caught us a little bit by surprise, Ian, and we reported on this earlier. And the electric motors 
can be configured in a, in a range of sizes. And let's not forget, the target for the eFlyer is the eFlyer 2, the eFlyer 4, and a future retractable version, perhaps, of the eFlyer. Yes. And this is really interesting technology, but tell us a little bit more about Saffron, because that's a line that I am not as familiar with as you might be. I do know that we're looking at 500 kilowatt motors, which is, you know, X number of horsepower. Up to, yeah. Up to 500 kilowatts, which is about 670 horsepower, which is huge in my opinion. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, man, this is one of these things that all these electric manufacturers are going to have to go through, which is, you know, finding a, a good electric motor. I mean, there are a lot of them out there, but of course, you know, you're building this, this airplane, not for today, but for, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years into the future. And you got to make sure that the company is around to provide support and that they're still in the game and everything else. And so I don't know what happened with Rolls Royce. I mean, George Bay in the release said something about well, they couldn't come to, you know, mutually beneficial terms. And, you know, so maybe they couldn't get it for the price they wanted. Maybe they couldn't get the level of production they wanted. I mean, there's all sorts of different things that could have happened here. Could be they didn't get the performance. Who knows? Saffron is, you know, they're, I would say, not known necessarily as an electric motor leader at this point. I think that's pretty much Rolls Royce. However, they are everywhere else in the power plant world. You know, they're on helicopters, they're on biz jets, they make big engines. And so, you know, they've got the engineering expertise and and certainly the uh, the support behind them. So probably not a bad choice. It'd be nice to have a little more insight into what happened there and, and also how much this is going to delay the development because as you said it's a bit of a surprise yes you're right because we get information from by aerospace rather frequently Mm -hmm. and they've been incrementally moving ahead you know they're based at a centennial airport over in uh, the denver area in and there's a lot of training going on and it's a lot of you know there's a lot of testing it rather going on uh with the prototypes and we're looking you know we're looking pretty soon to see some of these aircraft flying around so that flight schools can take advantage of the the less expensive operating cost which is the whole key to that electric motor development yeah absolutely so by the way they have set more than 700 711 they're saying purchase agreements on these e-flyers so obviously a ton of interest in these things long before the technology is proven so we'll see well i think we'll see what happens probably in the next six months or so on this motor but as always i say you know wish them the best of luck we're rooting for them so. we're rooting for anyone who's going to help bring aviation down to the masses at a, at a less expensive rate and get more people involved in aviation so yeah got my fingers crossed that's right hey moving on you know we talked about the gamma numbers i think that was last time so nbaa they had their virtual business aviation convention recently and as part of that honeywell put out a forecast they do every year this was an interesting one and you know they're saying that maybe not so bad covid you know what it's doing to the business aviation market in the kind of medium to long term you know ian that was interesting to me when i read that because we hear a lot about commercial aviation and the downturn in commercial aviation but while business aviation has certainly been affected it's been affected less much less than in air transport. In fact, big businesses are really getting on the bandwagon for business aviation versus commercial aviation to get from place to place. So that's conceived as a little bit safer, less COVID-related issues, things like that. Yeah. So corporate aviation is on the uptick already. Yeah. So they're saying, you know, they think that what they've seen in Q4 of this year is down about 20% year over year. So that's an improvement from all year, which is they're looking at kind of a total of 50%. So that means just like we talked about with avionics previously, you know, things are on the up, which is great. And I think, you you know, we're hearing that anecdotally. It's like 
pilots are being hired at corporates and fractionals and charters. Interestingly, it's kind of sink or swim for a lot of these. Some definitely have suffered and continue to suffer. Some are just, you know, they can't hire people fast enough. They need airplanes, you know. So it's a little bit bifurcated there. But yeah, they're, so they're saying 50% year over year. And then fractionals, I think, are down about 23% year over year. And as you say, some people are coming into private aviation that weren't here before. That's right. And Honeywell Aerospace President and CEO Mike Madsen was letting folks know about that at the NBAA convention just a short time ago. And so his long-range forecast up until uh, the year 2030, which is like 10 years from now, still indicates about 7,300 new business aircraft during that period. And he still sees the strongest segments of growth over the next 10 years to be in this super midsize and large cabin aircraft. Yeah, that's interesting because they've been hurt certainly by this. So, hey, speaking of the future, we do like to touch on eVTOL occasionally. And there was some big news over the last couple of weeks you may have heard. Joby, which is a, we'll call them a manufacturer, they're developing an eVTOL. So they're, they're an aircraft maker. They have purchased Uber's eVTOL business. Now, of course, Uber, we know, they kind of started the whole craze. Well, I, I don't want to say they started the idea of it, but they certainly got some attention for eVTOLs as a result of their plane. And now that's all under Joby. Yeah, because Uber has already has the sort of the infrastructure, if you will, you know, for the, the automobile-based infrastructure for this. And it just seems like a natural leap to take it from the ground to the air. Mm-hmm. The Joby aviation, the vehicle, if you will, is a six-motor electric aircraft. And it's designed to carry pilot and four passengers up to about 150 nautical miles, which certainly seems like a plausible concept, Ian, to, to get that jump from here to there, the short haul jump, and then maybe charge in between. So that's pretty interesting. And marrying that up with Uber's infrastructure could be a win. Yeah, that's right. So Joby, by the way, they have raised, this is amazing, $700 million so far from Toyota, Intel, JetBlue, others. I mean, you know, so they are, I think in a lot of ways, they're seen as the best leader uh, in terms of, you know, uh, capitalization and maybe where they are in development. And so it kind of makes sense that Uber would select them and that they would work together and, and, and take Uber's business. And, you know, this is, I think, interesting because it says as much about Uber as it does about Joby. I mean, a lot of, you know, Uber has been really just hammered in terms of their profit level the, the recently. And so this, in a lot of ways, was just seen as, you know, Uber trying to recover some cash. Now, Ian, let's look into the future and think a little bit about autonomous vehicles. And, you know, Uber has done some research on the ground into autonomy. And what about aviation? I mean, this device might be one of those autonomous aircraft. Yeah, well, I'm still where, where I've been before on that which is that the technology is way ahead of anything else I mean, in terms of making the aircraft optionally piloted. I mean, we know that's already possible. You know, I think bigger questions are, is electric going to be the power plant and are, are people going to ride in it? I think convincing people is going to be the uh, one of the huge keys. The other thing that I'm really concerned about, and I've brought it up at several Hangar Talk episodes in the past, is the fact of, of the airspace, the airspace infrastructure. How do we accommodate these types of vehicles with drones and general aviation and commercial aviation? And so to me, that's really the bigger key. Yeah, that's a great point. Hey, moving on, want to talk about COVID, and we promise this is for the last time in 2020. <laughs> last time we're going to talk about COVID. And that is about vaccines. So this is funny. This is a story I think that was kind of brought to us because as you and I were saying, 
you know, vaccines are out. They were, they're going to become widely available soon. And so pilots are thinking about this in terms of their medical certificate, which I have to admit is not something that, that came top of mind to me, but is a consideration. Absolutely. And, and I had no idea that it would be even uh, you know, at top of mind or, or become a consideration for pilots, but indeed it is. And it does make sense. Anytime you're going to get something done to you, if you're going to go visit your doctor, you're going to have some procedures done, you kind of need to make sure that you keep a, a record of that for your medical. And in this case, the key takeaway is a number one, pilots can, C-A-N, can get the uh, COVID vaccine. And the other part of that is that you can't fly or control air traffic if you're an ATC member for 48 hours after each dose. And don't forget the Pfizer vaccine is in two doses. Hmm. The, the Pfizer BioNTech COVID vaccine is dose one and then three weeks later, dose two. So that's two different times where you need to recuse yourself from flying for 48 hours. Yeah. So this was, you know, as, as I said, this was kind of brought to us. I mean, there was a story that I think Avweb put out that said basically it put into question whether pilots were going to be able to take this. And, and it caused a, a lot of reaction, which was similar to mine. And that's like, well, why couldn't I? Uh, and so... You know, a couple of days later, the vaccine was approved and the FAA put out a press release saying saying what you just mentioned, which is that, yeah, OK, you can do it. But you got that two days. And now it makes me wonder, are they going to have to do this with every vaccine that's approved from here on out? I would expect we'll see something similar. I agree with you. I think that the next vaccine that we're looking at, which is, I believe, the Moderna vaccine, and that's only supposed to be issued in one dose. So that would only be a waiting period of 48 hours total. However, and I didn't remember this, Ian, at all, but um, if you received a vaccine for tuberculosis or typhoid, you also had to have a waiting period. Oh. So th th this is not an unusual maneuver by the FAA. And I think part of that, Ian, is to make sure that we don't have any adverse reaction to that vaccine. Yeah. And because it is so new, it had just hasn't been out there for that long. And so, the, I, you know, I kind of see the both sides of this. Um, I'd, I'd be disappointed if I had to wait and, and I was a commercial pilot and I had clients. But the flip side of it is, you know, it does pay to be prudent sometimes. Yeah, yeah that's right. By the way, I did see that there was a, uh, I think it was IATI, I believe, was pushing for airline pilots to be considered sort of essential employees to be, you know, t front of the line there to be uh, vaccinated. So that is interesting to see what's going to happen with some of these transportation workers and, and, you know, will they get some sort of special consideration? True that. Well, look, there's another tie-in to general aviation as far as the COVID-19 vaccine is concerned. So I just want to give a quick shout out to UPS Captain Houston Mills. And uh, he's a pilot with some military experience, and he's also part of our AOPA High School STEM Aviation Symposiums. He's, he's spoken a few times. Well, he flew the first batch of COVID-19 vaccines to, to Kentucky and so over to Louisville. So that was really interesting to see. To see Houston flying these vaccines, and he was on national news and everything, which is really neat. Oh, that's awesome. And he's also also an AOPA member and an advocate for uh, everything AOPA, especially STEM education. Fantastic. Cool. Hey, uh, last news of the year for us, and that is new airplane from Piper, the Piper Pilot 100i. We, I think, talked about this when it was released, boy, more than a year ago, maybe, it has now been certified. Yeah, we first heard about it in 2019 at the Sun and Fun air show, Ian. 
And the big news for that, besides the fact that it is actually certified, is that this aircraft is coming in under a budget that is supposed to be attractive to flight schools. And in two different versions, an IFR-capable Pilot 100i and a VFR Pilot 100. Ah, okay. Good to know. Want me to go ahead and give them the give our folks the cost figures real quick? Yes. For the low, low price. Of, the low, low yeah. price. Of, for the, let's start first with the lower priced. VFR Pilot 100 is $259,000. Okay. But for less than $30,000 more, at $285,000, you get the IFR-capable Pilot 100i with a Garmin G3X Touch avionics suite and other additions and it's interesting Ian because the Archer TX itself that it's based on comes in at about $369,000 so about a hundred grand more for the for the airplane that, that these two models are based on yeah so that that is interesting and I got I think this is a smart smart move by Piper I mean they probably saw what Robinson did with the R44 you know, you strip out two seats, lower the price a little bit, and, you know, flight schools start eating them up. And I totally agree. I mean, this thing, so for 285000 the only thing really that you're giving up from the Archer, if I understand it, is a little bit less of a panel. So you don't have the G1000. You got the G3X Touch, which, let's face it, totally capable system. It'll be adequate, certainly. Totally certainly fine, adequate. exactly. So you're going to have a little bit of transition to the G1000, a very small one. So you've got the G3X Touch, and you lose one seat. So standard is three-seat configuration, pilot, co-pilot, and then an observer in the back, which I think was really smart. So, you know, like big uh, flight schools like American Flyers, who's the launch customer, you know, they could fly a, another student back there for the observer position. So you're saving 100 grand. I mean, that is, that's, I think, a good deal. You 285000 for what's essentially an archer with a slightly different panel and one less seat, that's a bargain. It is a good deal. And I do like the fact that there are, are three seats in it and sort of that, that second seat in the back, you can kind of straddle the middle. And as a student, I can vouch for the fact that you really can learn a whole lot by observing. And that's a key thing. And if I was sitting off to the side where I couldn't really see the panel, that would be more of an issue. I like paying attention to what is going on. I like to see how other pilots are flying and take notes. I sometimes scribble notes down on my on my iPad and stuff. Yeah. So I think that's really neat. The one thing we didn't talk about today, Ian, is the power plant operating in this aircraft because it was introduced as being powered by a Continental Prime IO370 fuel-injected 180-horsepower engine and with a 2,200-hour TBO and Piper has on the Piper website that this will instead be a Lycoming IO360 engine, also 180 horsepower, and also, you know, obviously fuel injected. But we want to want to stress that this is these are two different bits of information that we have on this one model. Yeah, yeah. It seems like like they did make an engine switch somewhere in the development. I wouldn't be surprised if that was, you know, pushed by customer feedback based on the launch. You know, they want that same motor that they've got in the Archer. So that, that you know, I could see that. That makes some sense. So, yeah, you'll get that uh, with the Lycoming IO360 and uh, just one less seat and a slightly different panel. So, you know, and speaking of price, you know, the Texas aircraft Colt, we've mentioned those a few times. That's an SLSA uh, built in Texas, designed in Brazil. They introduced, you know, the, 
that was a pricey LSA, and they have introduced a pretty big price drop. So I would say a huge price drop. I would say, you know, this actually makes it more attractive to folks. Ian, the price is the whole thing here. The solution was to basically chisel away at some of the things in the panel and some of the materials used inside the cockpit of the aircraft, which, which I must say drew high remarks from Sarah Diener when she test flew the airplane back in 2019. But we're looking at a, a, a price of $139,900 for that uh, entry-level cult SLSA, and she really complimented the aircraft. She said it was a forgiving aircraft. It flew well, no surprises, and it still has pretty good state-of-the-art touchscreen avionics. Yeah, so it still keeps that Garmin G3X on the left side, but steam gauge is on the right side, which is, a, you know, probably, I think, a good solution there. I will say, I think one place they went wrong is they did not put brakes on the right so I think that's, yeah. a, that's a poor choice to save just a little bit of money. It's like I'd up the price a little bit and put some brakes on the right side for instructors. I would too, especially in the market that this is going to be used in. And um, I wonder how soon it'll be before there's an optional kit for your local mechanic to just install that. Because yeah. that happens on other models too. Yep. So, hey, speaking of upgrades, you know, Andy Matthews, our, our guest this week, the iFlight Planner, obviously being AOPA's flight planning engine now, members call in, they use it, they say, oh man, I wish it had this, I wish it had that, or I would love it if it did this differently. That's something that we have a relationship with now. We can go straight to Andy and his team and they are able to make some of those upgrades. And so that's something you guys will discuss. But I mean, I know with your interest, more importantly, the PGA Tour. Oh yeah, I was uh, chatting with him about that. We'll find out a lot more about the PGA Tour. But it's, I think it's a really interesting story how he got involved with the iFlight Planner. And he'll tell us about that, Ian. It actually was a, an incident that led to a fortuitous discovery and uh, led him towards aviation. So I don't want to spoil it for folks. I want them to listen to the interview instead. Welcome to Hangar Talk, Andy Matthews from iFlightPlanner.com. It's great to see you. And you have a real interesting history besides aviation. That's what we want to talk about first. Tell me a little bit about uh, your golf history and what you did before you came to aviation. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me, Dave. My story to, to aviation is interesting, to say the least. I think everybody has their own unique story and, and how they, they got themselves into aviation. But mine... It started as a really, from a very young age, I always had a passion for aviation. My dad and I would often go to the airport viewing area, grab lunch, and just, just watch airplanes at Gerald R. Ford International Airport here in Grand Rapids, where I'm born and raised. And I, I still say, you know, there's nothing like jet fuel in the morning. Um, <laughs> uh, it's always been a passion of mine, but growing up, my passion and where I spent a lot of my time was on the golf course. Had an opportunity to play, was introduced to junior golf and kind of worked my way up through the ranks, if you will, through junior golf, amateur golf, and played my collegiate golf at the University of Michigan. And from there, had a hunch, as I think all those that play golf at some level of of wanting to play professionally, but never knew if I was good enough. And between my freshman and sophomore year at the University of Michigan, I qualified for my first PGA Tour event, which at the time was the Buick Open 
up in Grand Blanc, Michigan near Flint. And it was then when I knew that I wanted to play professionally. So I did, I turned pro after I graduated from the University of Michigan and pursued golf for 10 years. I played most of my golf on what's now called the McKenzie Tour. It was the Canadian Tour back when I started playing up there in 2004. And it's now, you know, one of the feeder tours to the PGA Tour. And so I chased that dream for 10 years and, you know, arguably lived it, had seven or eight PGA Tour starts. I played overseas in South Africa for two seasons and, you know, really got to live, live that dream. But it was, it was an injury that forced me out of golf for a few months that was the initial impetus for iFlight Planner. I couldn't train, I couldn't practice at the golf course. And it was my dad who said, hey, you've been talking about getting your pilot's license since you were five years old. Why don't you take advantage of this time to go do it? And so that's what I did. Instead of going to the golf course and working with my swing coach every day, I was going to the airport and flying with my flight instructor every day. And my dad was naturally my first passenger once I passed my check ride. And as the story goes, I was still on my paper ticket, uh, met my CFI out at the airport with my dad. We were going to go fly. And my CFI said, hey, do you have your weight and balance done? And I didn't. And he's like, well, the FAA's on site. They may be doing ramp checks. Let's make sure we get that done just to be safe. Well, here I am, a newly minted pilot, just past my check ride. And obviously my written knew what I was doing. My CFI very experienced. Under the gun, we were making mistakes and just feeling rushed by the situation, if you will. Which you don't want to have happen if you're a pilot ever. Exactly. Right. We, all, we all know that. So we got it done. We flew. My dad and I had a great experience. And when we were driving back home, as is kind of all small businesses start, you go, man, there's got to be a better way to do this. And literally, the, for what's now iFlight Planner started out as the idea for an intuitive and easy to use weight and balance calculator. And at the time, John Burnside, who is now our director of technology, was doing my golf website and helping individuals that were following my career keep up with my schedule and results, etc. John and I sat down at a bar in Ann Arbor called Ashley's. And we literally wrote down a couple of ideas on the back of a cocktail napkin. So when you hear those stories about a business starting on a, on a napkin, it's true. iFlight Planner is one of them. And what we did is we looked at, you know, what was out there at the time. This was before the iPad or the iPhone tablets and phones had changed aviation as they have, or frankly, every industry, if you want to say. Mm -hmm. And John's expertise was in web applications. And so we looked at it and said, hey, what's out there that can help pilots plan their flights and make sure that they're crossing their T's and dotting their I's? So from there, it was, we, we looked at it and we said, you know, I'm going to four or five different websites to to do all of those things, let's kind of consolidate it. And we saw that there were some solutions out there that did one or two pieces of the puzzle, 
well. And then the other ones that tried to do everything weren't really intuitive. And we said, you know what, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. And so the business plan for iFlight Planner was put together and we launched iFlight Planner in the spring of, of 2010. And I was still playing full-time. So when I was not at the golf course and when I was in between tournament rounds, I was back in the hotel or at the, the host family's house where I was staying that week, working and grinding on, on building iFlight Planner into what it now is today. That's a fascinating story. I really like that. And I can relate to, to several pieces of this. The first thing is that, you know, going back to the golf world, Tell me a little bit more about, about the grinding practice that you were dealing with because folks who are not in sports and haven't, haven't dealt with the PGA, which I have, cause I'm a longtime photojournalist. You know, I know that you guys spent, I mean, yeah, we see you in the tournaments, but, but a lot of people don't realize how many hours of the day that you are spending with a swing coach or practicing on the range or putting this could be, you know, 12 hours of your day. Yeah. You know, and it's, it was my nine to five. And, and while, you know, those that are not in athletics, like, like you were saying, we'll, we'll look at that and say, you know what, I, I would love to play golf all day, every day. And there, there is certainly an, an element of that where we know we're super fortunate in having to be able to do that as, as our career. But just like anything else, it can become a grind when you're living out of your suitcase for three, four, five, six weeks on end, you're away from family and friends, you're sleeping in a new bed every week, eating out, you know, the value of a home cooked meal goes up exponentially. And while it's a lot of fun, it's, it's also, it's also a grind it, and it definitely is a job in, in a way you have to treat it that way in order to, to excel. Everybody has their, their resources from, you know, their swing coaches, their strength coaches, their brain performance coaches, it's, it's all there. And you have to be very disciplined in pursuing each one of those aspects to be able to compete at the very highest level. Absolutely. I'm not saying it. Yeah. I'm not saying it wasn't fun and I'm not, it was, it was an incredible experience and golf was a, was an amazing tool for me to see, to see the world doing something I, I absolutely love. But I think it's, everybody that that has their has their job you know there's some good days at the office and there's some some bad days at the office and one of my one of my best friends said to me as i was getting my my career going up in canada he was like he said that same thing to me he's like andy i've got good days at the office and i've got bad days at the office but neither of mine are posted on the internet for everybody else to see right exactly and, uh, and actually to criticize these days too, you know, everyone else, everyone is their own expert. So now um, thinking back to, to you as a child with your dad, you said you were at Gerald Ford airport up in Michigan. That's where you guys went. And y'all just went yeah. to, I'm guessing y'all just went, you know, to sit on a, a, a picnic bench or a park table or something to watch the airplanes. That that's exactly what we did. We, we either packed a lunch at home or picked some, something up on the way out there and, that was kind of our, our father-son time. You know, it obviously evolved into that father-son time onto the golf course. And that's how, you know, much of my passion for golf got started. But, you know, there were times where it was a coin flip. Are we going to go to the golf course or are we going to go to the airport? Was your dad a pilot as well? No, he wasn't. And he was just very much in the same 
same boat as me. There's no aviation history in our, in our family. Not that I've been able to find of anyone upstream that, that had their pilot's license. So, you know, I didn't have a, a mentor or really the insight into how to get started, but you know, it was checking out the Ann Arbor flyers when I was in school at the university of Michigan and then ended up finding a flight school here in West Michigan where I was able to fly and pursue and, you know, build those relationships around hangar talk and, you know, really have fun just as so many pilots can relate to. So it was just a passion of yours and a passion of your dad's. Uh, the aviation was kind of in the background, something y'all shared in common, and a little father and son time. Exactly. And then you, you went from that to actually pursuing your, your flight training. And when you said that the, the flight training pursuit kind of happened when you were injured on your golf career. About how old were you? Do you remember? I was 26. It was in the, the 2006, 2007 range when I got my, when I really started training, you know, ironically, one of our family friends had a Cessna 182 and I qualified for the 2007 US Open at Oakmont. And we, we piled the, my, my gear in the, in the 182 and he flew me into Allegheny County Airport for for the U.S. Open. I was probably the only one that arrived that that week in a in a single engine airplane because all of the biz jets were parked on the ramp that yeah. everyone else was arriving in. Yeah, biz jets and the, the twins and things like that. Absolutely. In fact, you know, aviation and golf goes back a pretty good ways. Uh, we don't have to look too far back to uh, golfing great Arnold Palmer, who mm -hmm. was a fantastic pilot as well and set two world records as well. And there's yeah. an airport named after him. He does. Yeah. Up in Latrobe, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Aviation could be a real benefit to a golfer, you know, personal aviation, general aviation to get from one tournament to another and also to some guest appearances. And that's something that a lot of people don't understand that a lot of times athletes are obligated to visit with the general public and maybe, you know, maybe show, in your case, show some clubs or demonstrate some new golf wear, things like that. So were you able to marry any of that together at the same time? I, I certainly did. And there were, there were situations. There was one in particular, I didn't sit in the, in the left seat for, for this particular trip, but I was, I completed a, a round on a Sunday afternoon on the West Coast, actually Victoria, British Columbia, connected in Seattle commercially and flew into, into Grand Rapids. Was met in Grand Rapids with, uh, with another friend who I literally walked out of the terminal, the commercial terminal over to the, the general aviation terminal and we flew up to Northern Michigan for another tournament. So being able to stack those tournaments back to back would not have been possible without general aviation. And, you know, it's interesting for me because when I'm, when I'm in the, when I'm in the cockpit and I'm, I'm able to look down, I find myself trying to spot golf courses. <laughs> and while I'm on the golf course and I see an, an aircraft fly overhead, 100% of the time, it catches my attention. So I'm, I'm always in this, I'm always in this spot where both of, you know, both passions are getting fed, if you will. And I, and I love it. Now, some golfers are a little peeved when they hear an airplane 
flying overhead and I can remember Phil Mickelson at the Masters, you know, pointing up and Tiger Woods as well. So, uh, but that never, that was never a problem of yours, it sounds like. No, no, I was, <laughs> I, I, I definitely enjoy the, the moment to stop, look and, and admire. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you can see my, my mug here. I noticed it. We've got the Masters, the Masters logo, and it's going to be quite interesting this year seeing a Masters played in November. Yes. And then we're going we're gonna to almost get the, the double dip with another one being played again next April. So it's, it's exciting that, you know, the golf, the golf industry and in, in golf in particular on the PGA Tour started up again this week. They're down in, in Houston, or excuse me, they're in Fort Worth playing at Colonial. Um, and then the, the Corn Ferry Tour is down in Jacksonville playing. So, you know, it's great to see a sport that I would say is uniquely suited for social distancing has been able to, to return back. And, you know, for those of us that enjoy the game or even just enjoy watching the game, you know, you've got five of the top five players in the world playing in, in this event where maybe in a, in a regular year, they otherwise wouldn't, but everybody's, you know, chomping at the bit to get back at it. And, you know, there's been some great golf already played this week. Yeah, well, that's a good point about social distancing on the golf course as a player and really as a fan. I don't know what the plans are for, for you know, for the golf galleries, which can get quite packed, especially at events like the U.S. Open and the Masters. By the way, way to go on the U.S. Open. That is a huge accomplishment. People who might be listening to a Hangar Talk podcast they might not understand how big of a deal this is for a golfer and that you know, just to be able to qualify at the local tournaments and work your way up to that. That is a major personal athletic accomplishment. Way to go. Thank you. Thank you. I, I would easily say it was the, the highlight of my, my golf career and, you know, being able to, to tee it up in, in your national championship. But for me, it, it was almost, you know, all those individuals that kind of winding back to my golf website, who was following my career and, and whatnot, the, the U.S. Open provided an opportunity for all those individuals to come together. Pittsburgh was not that far from, from Michigan, so a lot of people were able to hop in a car and make road trips. And, you know, for me to think that me doing what I love and playing golf was able to bring individuals like that together. It was, it was an amazing experience and almost as, as much fun for me was the week after when I was back home, hearing all the stories of people cramming into cars and hotel rooms. And that was really, really cool where, like I said, it was just me playing golf, doing what I love. Granted, it was on a really big stage, but I was I was in my in my comfort zone and to have everybody out there supporting me was really really fun. Now did you feel any pressure? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's I mean the the most the most nervous I've I've been on a golf course was my first tee shot at Oakmont. I mean I I still remember it was I started on the 10th tee. I was later in the afternoon and you know by that time grandstands were full and and galleries were were out there and you heard me say there's nothing like jet fuel in the morning and on the golf course it's in, and Dave, you can relate to this. I mean, you're, you're smelling the grills, you're seeing the people, there's the murmur of the crowd. There's just, there's just an energy about it. That is, that is infectious. 
if if you will. And and I think for me and and I would say a lot of other players, you know, they really they really thrive on on that. And which makes this week and the next three weeks on the PGA Tour really interesting because the fans aren't out there, the grandstands aren't up, the golf courses that they're used to seeing with galleries lining fairways and grandstands around the greens, they're not there. And so it's, you know, I've, I've heard some of my, some of my friends who are still out there, out there playing say, it feels like I'm playing a mini tour event again, just because there's no, because there's not, there's not such a big gallery. Right. Right. Because they're not allowed to, but now the thing is when you're standing there on that tee and I was fortunate enough to be, to play Augusta national one time as a member of the media, I won this lottery. Once you win it once you you can't win it again. But I remember standing on hole number 10, we were going backwards. Uh, That was my first hole. And, and looking at the beauty of the course and it's quiet and it's just, it's just gorgeous. And it's really an interesting feeling for me. It kind of was a very calming feeling and uh, much like I get in an aircraft. I mean, when I'm piloting an airplane, I'm not, you know, I've distanced myself from the rest of my daily mm-hmm. routine where I'm, v- I'm very much concentrating. So I enjoy that feeling. I wonder if, if any of that crosses over at all to you. Yeah, it it certainly does. And I I mean, I still remember and it's it's probably when I first soloed, obviously that was controlled and and around around the pattern. And then when I had the opportunity to to go out and and build the time that was necessary for for my check ride, I still remember going out one morning. It was a cool, crisp, bright, sunshiny fall morning aircraft performance was fantastic. And it was just, you know, it was unmatched. It was a sense of accomplishment, but there was also a very awesome feeling of calm and, and just being up there and enjoying, enjoying what it, what it was. And I think all of those of us that have had those opportunities in the cockpit can, can relate maybe the the pilots out there who are fellow golfers will relate to that as well, but you can kind of get into that zone. You get into that flow state, if you will, where everything is effortless and things are going the way that you want them to and the way that you expect them to. And there's, there's nothing better. Now let's, let's uh, turn the table a little bit. Have you ever been flying where things were not going the way you anticipated and it put you on the spot a little bit or tasked your ability to a degree. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, one, the, the one that comes to mind right away, and I, I was still, I was still in, in my training. And at the time we were doing power on stalls and I got uncoordinated and, and I spun and it was, you know, while it was a, a challenging experience and one that obviously caught me a bit by by surprise it allowed allowed what i had learned to to really come into play and i think that's where we all try to get to in whichever endeavor that we are whether it is flying an airplane or playing golf or running a company or whatever it is that that we do and enjoy doing is getting to that point where we can trust our ability and trust our intuition and trust our processes that those things are just ingrained and they happen automatically. 
where you can respond to the situation, but then after that situation has passed, you can look back on it and say, you know what? I did what I was supposed to do. I made the best decisions that I could with the, the information that I had at the time. And you take that, you go forward, you learn from it, you put in your experience bucket. And, you know, in some cases, maybe you hope you never have to use it again. But if you do, you know, you're going to be prepared for it. That's a good point. Put it in your tool belt and uh, hope that you have it and don't need to use it. Yeah. Now bring us up to the future, um, basically to the present, to the future. What type of aviation are you doing now? Or, or really, do you have time for aviation now? Working with iFlightPlanner.com, which we should mention is an, an AOPA. Basically, you've helped AOPA establish another uh, flight planner tool, which we appreciate and the members appreciate. So tell us a little bit about your aviation now and what you have been doing lately. Yeah, you know, a lot of what I'm doing lately is has been behind the desk. So I have not been in the in the cockpit as as much as I would like as of late, but the majority of my time is is in the 172 that I even did most of my training with. So, you know, I I've slowly pursued my instrument rating and and that's one of the my goals for well, I was going to say this year, but we all kind of got grounded for for a few months there. So I might have to reevaluate that, but, you know, running iFlight Planner and helping AOPA with the opportunity to get iFlight Planner for AOPA up and running has required a lot of time and, and effort, but it's been really cool to see how it's all come together. The crew at AOPA has just been incredible to, to work with from, you know, the, the top down in those that are in the PIC, the, the Pilot Information Center that probably most members are, are interacting with. So while I'm not necessarily in the left seat as much as, as I would like as of late, my head is certainly in the game and it's been, you know, it's been a tremendous, it's been a tremendous year and a tremendous opportunity to, to learn. And, and frankly, one of the, this is kind of maybe going a little bit off, Dave, but you know, to having conversations with pilots about what they need, what they want, what they're having trouble with, you know, it's created a really cool opportunity for us to, to grow and improve iFlight Planner for AOPA and what we're doing, what we're doing there, because, you know, everybody uses a piece of software or goes about a process in a slightly different way. And, you know, when you've got those that are passionate about aviation, passionate about what they like, and those conversations are, are super productive. And frankly, they're, they're a lot of fun. Even those that, that might come in that, you know, when you read the message or, or listen to the voicemail that you can tell that the, the member might be frustrated with, with something, it still provides a really cool opportunity to really get to the root of why that was. And we've had some, Dave, as I mean, even since iFlight Planner for AOPA launched in towards the end of April, you know, those that, you know, really has helped us, helped us get better. And, you know, we're, we continue to do that. And, you know, that's what we've, we committed to do and we've always done, but it's been that much better and that much more productive with the help of the AOPA membership. Well, we appreciate you saying that. I know that from a personal perspective, sometimes I deal with members that might not be really happy um, and they have a, a particular beef, but you know, when you talk to them and get a little bit more of an insight to really to any pilot and find out what's going on, I think we could find common ground many of the times. And I think that is the beauty of the conversation because it is not a one-way street. 
is a very much a two-way street and we can all learn from other people and from other mentors as you mentioned early on in our conversation you talk about mentorship you know but i think that reaching out is a great thing to do and and for iFlight planner i know because I do use it. I know that you have made some adjustments and some updates, uh, even in the past, you know, two months since it's been online with yeah. AOPA. And that's a, that's a real benefit and a real, we really do appreciate that. I mean, everyone appreciates that. And, you know, and that's what we do is like, we, we want to encourage those conversations. And while email seems to be the easiest way to get those conversations going, if we have an opportunity to hop on a phone call, with a member or better yet do a, a screen share where we can show or the member can show, Hey, this is how I'm using this piece. There's so much to learn by watching that. And it's like, ideally we do even some of that in person with some beta testers. And it's, it's as simple as if they're sitting at their desktop or they're on their laptop and it's just, it's little things. It's watching where the eyes go. It's watching where the mouse kind of moves and hovers or, or hesitates. And those are the things that, you know, we just can't capture over email. And so we, we, whenever we get a message, whether it's a simple how to, or I can't do this, you know, we, we do our best to ask those questions to kind of draw out what the thought process is, what the, what the speed bumps have been, and what we can do not only to address the situation in the moment and help the members best we can right there, but then take that back for when we do development planning meetings, whether it be for our core or premium products or for iFlight Planner for AOPA, what can we do to elevate everybody's planning experience? Absolutely. It is a cool program. I'm glad you guys have it up for us. I didn't know that you were involved with it and I certainly didn't know about your PGA background. I find that very fascinating. Uh, like you, I'm also a longtime instrument student, and I have used some of the downtime during the coronavirus to do some ground school, some instrument ground school. So I have high hopes for myself. And I think that you can do this. I think you can pursue and at least knock out your, your instrument ground, your instrument written this year. Yeah. And, and that's, that's my plan. Like I, I'm I'm a big I'm a big goal setter and believe in writing those things down and putting them up where not only I can see them but those that are closest to me can see them and hold me accountable. So I think that's uh, I think that is a really a really good goal for the end of the year, Dave. Well, Andy, I know we got to close pretty soon uh, because we're we're both kind of running and gunning today. What is in the immediate future? for iFlight Planner for AOPA. Do you have anything you could tip your hat to at this point or tip your golf visor to real quick? Yes. It won't spoil it for us, but let us know. Yeah, you know, one of the, the biggest, the big things that we weren't able to address in the first round of release that went out a couple weeks ago was enhancing the kneeboard printout for members. We Yay, know all right, all right. <laughs> So we, we know that that's very important. It's high on our development list. We're doing the appropriate R&D right now. I don't have a timeline, but I think that's going to be one of the, the next big ones to, to come. So there's a, there's a couple other, and I give a ton of credit to John Burnside, our director of technology, and how he, how he plans these releases because, you know, we'll, we'll have those those new features those significant enhancements that come out but he's phenomenal about sneaking in a couple of little extra 
toys here and there, if you will, that, you know, once it's, once it's released, adds a little bit of icing on the cake. Gotcha. Gotcha. I didn't mean to get so excited about that printout, but that is one <laughs> key thing that I, yep. that I use. And I print, see, I'm old school in a way. I like my, I like my EFB apps uh, in the cockpit, but I want a piece of paper to still check the stuff off. And I found that for me, it helps keep me on track. Cause I like, like you, I'm a the VFR pilot and an instrument student, you know, maybe one day down the road when it's all instrument, all IFR, I won't, I won't have that need. So yep. maybe that's just a function of the way I'm, I'm trained in the way I fly right now. Sure. And, and we've always made printouts available, whether the ability to print out diagrams or instrument approach procedures or even what we call a flight document. But it was always formatted for eight and a half by 11. And knowing how, how much the AOPA membership appreciated that, that kneeboard format for whether it's primary reference or, or backup, the kneeboard format in, in a cockpit is tough to beat. And so that's why we've, we've put that high on our priority list and we're, we're looking forward to bringing that to, together here, hopefully soon. Good, good deal. And now aviation wise, we talked a little bit about your time is spent mainly at the desk. You're still doing some, some groundwork. You're still, you know, doing some reading behind the lines to, to move your aviation forward. You said you went ahead and pushed your instrument training back a little bit, but about how often are you able to jump in a cockpit? Is it, you know, at least once a month or so? That's, that's what I try and do. Yeah. And a lot of it too is, you know, a lot of product testing, you know, when, when we've got new features that are rolling out for iFlight Planner for iPad or iFlight Planner for iPhone, we want to make sure that it's most usable in the cockpit and not in a sterile desk office environment. So that's what I try and do. And, you know, if, and, and to limit a lot of my head, head downtime, I, I make sure I'm, I'm up with a friend, a safety pilot, whoever it might be to, to be able to support that in the best way that we can. Yeah, that makes sense. They get, it really get some good hands-on experience with that and make sure that it flows smoothly. And really, yeah. if there are any, any bumps in, along the road, just to kind of address them as you are. And I'm assuming that it just like building a house, every time you come back with a punch list and you've got to address them one by one, and it's not that easy to do. Right. That's where it comes into feasibility in terms of enhancing the technology, but also prioritizing based on the amount of support a particular enhancement or new feature is is getting and you know that's that's how we we plan our development cycles and how we always will gotcha we're going to wrap it up in one minute there's one question i usually ask people when i speak to them i'm gonna i'm gonna hopefully i won't trip you up on this andy but think back to how you started in aviation and look to the future for our next generation of aviators. What can we do as aviators to encourage more people to get into the aviation and aerospace fields? So it's a really good question. And I think I can tie it into my experience growing up in golf as well is making it available, whether it be through pancake breakfasts or, or whatever it might be is, is really encouraging and making introductory flights available to the next generation. Even if it's not an introductory flight, but it's an opportunity to show off an, an, an aircraft or whether it be at an AOPA fly-in where there's, there's those opportunities to really invite and just, you know, have, have conversations with those of, you know, yes, there's the piloting, but we all know that have gone through this, all of the, all of the science, the technology that, that really 
fuels what we do in, in aviation on a day-to-day basis. There's so many avenues in aviation that are outside of the, of the cockpit that I think um, a lot of individuals would be surprised by. And, and the only way that we as, as members of the aviation community can communicate that is by having those conversations and, and doing the outreach that, that we can to really impart our passion for what we love and what we do in and around aviation to, to those that may be able to join us here when it comes their time to fly. Well, honestly, the, the IT side of iFlight Planner to me immediately comes to mind to think about the next generation of folks who might be interested in computer programming and maybe not necessarily aviation, but marrying aviation to that. We also have management careers. Uh, you don't always, as you mentioned, Andy, you don't always have to be a pilot or a mechanic, but I mean, software driven things. And what about uh, EVTOL, electric vertical takeoff and landing, because that's on the horizon too. So uh, maybe there are a lot more opportunities, opportunities for young people than we thought. Certainly. You know, and, and that's the thing is the possibilities are, are endless and, and it's going to be fun to see. It's going to be fun to see how the, the industry shifts and adapts to what we just came out of with COVID. And, you know, there's anytime there's inver- adversity, whether it's the aviation industry or just kind of humanity in general, there's a chance to rally, get better, get stronger than and improve processes in a way that's better than the way that we did them before. That's an awesome way to end our conversation. Andy Matthews with iFlightPlanner.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Dave, really appreciate you you having me on. It's been, like I said, it's been fun getting to know you and um, the AOPA team. And we know there's more great things to come. All right, David. So a golfing pilot. I don't know. It's almost cliche at this <laughs> at this point. Isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. It's. Um, but you know, it's interesting that the two go kind of go hand in hand because you know golfers Ian have to travel great distances to compete, and they need to be sharp and they need to be prepared. That's true. And that kind of thing. So general aviation really goes a long way to help them out. And if you look back at golfers and GA, I mean Arnold Palmer was a GA pilot, an excellent golfer. You know, and actually has has an approach name for him over at his home airport yeah but many many golfers really have embraced general aviation as a a true transportation means to get from a to b great point yeah so hey that's all the time we have for this week and this year i'm ian twombly our editor is austin hansen and i'm david tulis don't forget you can get us at aopa.org slash hangar talk you can ask alexa to play hangar talk and you can find us wherever your apple or android podcasts are hosted all right we'll see you next time see you next time ian Hangar Talk from AOPA, your freedom to fly.